Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. As always, I'm Regina George. And I'm Gretchen Wieners. That's so fetch. Today we talked with Kate Rockwell, who plays Karen Smith in Mean Girls, currently on Broadway, still on Broadway. It's actually in its second year now. It's interesting to me that her character is so absolutely like dumb as a yeah, brick. One of the dumbest characters ever written. Because Kate herself is one of the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of talking with. And it goes to show, I think, that to be great at comedy and to be great at playing dumb in comedy, you have to be incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the different nuances of, of the human psychology and all of that to make it funny and not just be making fun of dumb people. Well, yeah, you have to... You have to Read the audience. You have to play, mm -hmm. like ride the wave. I think Sarah Stiles actually said this too. That you know what what motivates her in her closing questions is like riding that wave, that comedy wave. And mm -hmm. you've got to be super smart to be able to to know where the the crest is as yep. it as it goes through. You know, over time. Yep, it's a fine line that uh, if you you cross it, it doesn't really work the same way. But uh, Kate is brilliant at the role. I really liked, uh, we talk about in the interview, she actually, throughout her career, decided to take a break and try something new. She was realizing that performing was getting a little uh, little bit tiresome to her, and so she said, hey, I'm going to try a different career path for a little while. So she became a wine and spirits expert. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So she's like bridging the gap between Broadway and being a sommelier. Which is... <laughs> now that's a thing. Like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... We'll get into the episode here in a second, but before you do, please head over to ttp.fm and show your support. Subscribe and rate. You can go to ttp.fm slash Patreon and just give a little bit of a pledge that will help us keep the lights on, keep paying the bills. And uh, actually, a big shout out to my brother, Paul, who just became our first $20 patron, which of course gets him entitled to having his name. Shout out here in the reflection <laughs> Thanks, section. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Love you, bro. Everybody, please enjoy this episode with Kate Rockwell. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Currently bleaching out her brain cells in Mean Girls the Musical, she originated the role of pretty but dim Karen Smith, for which she earned a Helen Hayes nomination during their out-of-town tryout in Washington, D.C. She has previous Broadway credits, including originating the role of Skylar in Bring It On the Musical, Sherry in Rock of Ages, Margot in Legally Blonde, and Hair. And her TV and film credits include High Maintenance, Deadbeat, and Sex in the City the Movie. Kate Rockwell, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you always intro yourself by song? Actually, a lot, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I sing a lot of things. Like, I, I have two dogs, and so we sing just chatter to them all mm -hmm. day, and it's bled into my normal life. So I just sing chatter a lot. How do you talk to your dogs? 
Like, oh, there's, come and get your food. Yeah. Are you guys hungry? Do you want some dinner? Probably you do because you are dogs all the time. Just all day. It's all the time. <laughs> I love that this is the first. I'm like, we're in a minute one. And I'm like, let me tell you the weird shit I do at home. <laughs> and I can imagine your dogs are like, eh? uh, well, Yeah, one of they them just the looks. Th- one of them, yeah. we have like pinky in the brain dogs. We have like a big one that is like very sweet and runs into walls. And then we have a little one <laughs> who is like for sure plotting to take over the world at all times and angry about everything. And so the little one just like looks at you with her little snaggle tooth. Like, I can't believe you're such an idiot. And the big one will like take out your knees because she, you're probably talking to her. So she should probably be closer to you. Right. So right. she just go, 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 plat into your knees. What kind of dogs are they? Uh, the little one is a Frenchie Boston mix. Uh, her name's Mabel and she's 11. And then the big one is Bessie. She's a mm, boxer, bulldog, Dalmatian, we don't know, mutt. Um, Something. And she's somewhere around five. Um, they're both rescues, but she's like a like a long lost. She's from Georgia. Like we got her from a rescue that got her from a rescue that got her from a rescue. So like nobody so, wanted her? Yeah. Aww. She's big. She's 60 pounds. She When we got her, she was 75 pounds. She was so fat. Um, and she's uh, slightly aggressive, fearful, aggressive. Yeah. And she's like a white pit bull mix thing. Um, she's had puppies. Like she's got, she's just like nobody wanted she's her. She's had a past. She's, she's had a life. She's got a past, yeah. She has, she has earned her martini. So. If, she could, if she could write a musical. <laughs> it would, it would be a, it would be like Sondheim's passion, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Except for I always imagine Jennifer Coolidge as her voice. Somebody once asked me like who would voice my dogs and it was Eartha Kitt and Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> I was really hoping when you said you're Pinky and the Brain Dogs that they were literally named Pinky and the Brain. It, it would really have been a better choice. We, Mabel, we had on her own, so she got Mabel and then Bessie because she looks like a cow because she's white with little yes, black spots. Yes. All right. Her name was Sassy when we got her, which was just, you're like, oh, that's why she's not getting adopted. You named a 65-pound pit bull Sassy. Who just looks at you like, what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not going to get her into a house. All right. How about we talk some theater? All right. Uh, standard stuff. Okay. So let's talk about where you grew up. And you were not born Kate Rockwell. Well, that's not your full name. It's not my full name. Mm-hmm. Um, Rockwell actually was my middle name. It is my middle name still. Um, my mom's maiden name is Rockwell. And when my grandparents had her, they were like, you don't need a middle name. You're going to get married. So, like, you'll have a maiden name. And then my mom was like, well, that's screwed up. (laughs) So, for me, she gave me as a middle name her maiden name, which I always thought was, like, the coolest, smartest, like, very, uh, like, way ahead of her time feminist decision. Um, And it it was a whole lot easier to pronounce than what my maiden name was. I'm married now. Uh, My maiden name is Wilfong. Mm -hmm. And that was, like... No one can spell it. No one can say it. People thought I was like of Asian descent, which I'm clearly not. So we we used Rockwell instead. <laughs> Listen, I when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I did think Asian descent, but uh huh, it's German yeah. actually. It's is a German it? name Wildfong. Wildfong, yes. Yeah, not make that doesn't make it easier to spell. Oh. Well, yeah, if you say it, Wilfong, yeah, it's very phonetic. Anyway, so you're born in Cincy. I'm actually born in Connecticut. Oh. Yeah, born in Connecticut. I lived there until I was about six, and then I moved to Cincinnati, um, which is where I grew up and did basically all my school. So that's like hometown. So then where, I mean, what kind of kid were you? Were you a theater nerd as a, as a little one? Yeah, I was like, I mean, my parents loved musical theater, and so I grew up listening to it and going to see theater from a very young age. I think I was six the first time I saw my first professional production. Um and just fell in love with it, like, oh, and was always into it. My parents were like, "Cool, we like this too." So it was, I was very encouraged in that way, and I loved to sing. So I was in choir. Um, I started taking voice lessons when I was like 
11 or 12. Like I, that just was like always my path. Mm-hmm. Um, also not really athletically motivated. So sports was pretty much out. And in Ohio, that's your only other option. So <laughs> there's a lot of sports. There's some theater. That's about it. <laughs> well, I guess that, yeah, that speaks to your parents though. Cause you, you, uh, my parents wouldn't, I don't think they would have gotten me voice lessons if I had asked at 11. I don't uh, even know how that happened. Like whose idea was that? Like my mom just like knew that was a good idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember asking for them. Um, or if like my choir teacher in junior high, cause that's who was my first teacher. Mm-hmm. Like if it was her idea and she was like, do, would you want to do voice lessons? And I was like, yes. So I, I just don't know. But yeah, no, they she, got me in early. She was your teacher? She was my teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Linda Gartner. She's, she's, yeah. She was big, big influence. Has me. she come to see you? I no, um, I haven't seen her in a long time. I think she's she's like comper and be like, <laughs> like look her. at what you've done hey, for me. Listen, girl, you want to come see my show? I'm in. Come, come on. I'll Surprise, we Are have her on line one. No. Oh my god, that would be yeah. cool though. If only I could take phone calls. Well, this is the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Skype me right now. Jk, jk, jk. If you've ever taught Kate in a voice lesson, Skype me right now. Oh, okay. So then you you had a fun childhood, uh, and then how did? But how did you get? Into theater, how did you decide, like, I want to do this? What were you watching? Um, I think it was my high school production, <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof. Yep, I was in Fiddler on the Roof. I played Grandma's Idol. You're right. I was 14. Uh, mm. I, somebody had to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did, we did Fiddler my my freshman year of high school. And um, I got to be a part of it, which was sort of unusual because we had a really big high school and actually a very active theater department. And so mostly, like, the roles went to the older people. And I, I don't know if I got lucky or what, but I, or I was just the only one goony enough to come in and like play grandma's idol. Um, and so that was my first time on stage, like doing theater, doing, you know, not just like singing a song or whatever. And, um, you play a grandma, playing a grandma (laughs) only in the one scene. Otherwise I was just a townsperson. So like I did the opening and stuff, but I remember the curtain going up in tradition, you know, he does this Mm -hmm. whole monologue and the front of the stage and then the curtain goes up and everyone's on stage. We had those big block sets. So like, it was just like a, basically a ramp. <laughs> that was like our set. And, you know, like couples and families placed all over the place. We all did tradition. And we did that like really bad choreography with the, your arms just like slowly rise up and then you clench your fists. And that's, that's a whole choreography. Yeah. But I have a very distinct memory of doing that and being like, oh, this is really cool. Like with the live audience, you're having people right there watching you do it. Mm -hmm. And it was like so much adrenaline and so exciting. And then when they would applaud, you're like, oh, this is like instant gratification. Everything about this is fun. So that it was, it was truly that moment that I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do for real. Well, obviously Fiddler, huge comedy. Big comedy. Yeah, big comedy. But Uh, to be fair, I was playing the comedic. Yes. The, the very tiny little laugh that Fiddler has, that was me. <laughs> well, where did you get where did you get the comedy chops? Oh gosh, I don't know. My family's funny. My like my parents are both funny. My sis, I have two, a sister and brother, both younger. And uh, like we are, it is like quip after quip after quip. That is like how we engage. And it's all very like smart and sharp and and angular. And so I think that that has stuck with me. Um, obviously Karen's not particularly quit-witted, so I don't know where the, where I learned the opposite version of that, but comedy has been just inherent in my life always. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister would be very angry if I didn't say that she's actually known as the funny one in our family. It's not me. Um, she's very, very funny. And I probably have stolen a good amount of this comedy from her. 
What does she do now? <laughs> uh, she works um, in opera management. She's a like a manager agent for mm-hmm. opera singers. So she loves classical music, but doesn't choose to perform. She has a beautiful voice. But both, both my siblings do. Actually, my whole family does. They all sing. That's fun. Yeah. It's, it's fun. There's so many ways that you can be involved with performing in theater without being on stage yeah. and putting yourself through the mental anguish that comes along with all of this. And the like crazy thing is my brother is a lighting designer. So he he's like an electrician and lighting designer. Oh, no so kidding. like we have like the the backstage, the onstage and then the business side all yeah. represented in my family. Oh, that's so much fun. And then your your first professional gig was in Philia. Was Philia in Forum. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness, I was Marcus Lycus in college. I love that show. It is so much fun. It is so much fun. That was my first real comedy, like actually yeah. figuring it out. And I mean, Philia's she's she's not that bright, so maybe there's <laughs> <laughs> a very strong through line through my career, honestly, about the women that I play. Well, yeah, I actually have something to, and we could talk about that. I'll, I'll yeah, get, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, but there's a very strong through line. But to do it well, you have to be. You have to. In real life, be the opposite. You have to be really smart. Yeah. Really smart to pull that off. It's really specific. That kind of comedy is so specific and so calculated because if it's sloppy, it's just sloppy. And it would be very easy for dumb to be too slow or to just like it it needs edges and it needs sharp turns. And Mm -hmm. that's you have to be so specific with it. And I, I've always said like you, the smartest person in the room is the one playing the dumb one because it, I mean that's really patting myself on the back. Congratulations, Kate. But it, you really do have to like understand every single thing that you are doing and why you're doing it. Otherwise, it won't land. Right. So I think it's probably probably. I mean, it speaks Mean Girls specifically. Uh, Tina Fey does that very well. Oh my god. I mean, that's why I love Thirty Rock. Yes, Thirty Rock is my favorite television show of all time. Really? Yes. 100% was before I started working for her. So that I'm, that's not just me complimenting my boss. But um, <laughs> it has always been like, I saw that show and I was like, oh, that, I want to do that. Where's that for me? Like, it's just the funniest, it's the smartest, dumbest kind of material. It's such real people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're just, they're too real. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, I can't believe somebody's managed to re- replicate all of the people I've ever met in my life. Well, like Jane Krakowski too, like just plays these characters so play her plays her character so well and I mean Tina Tina but like Alec Baldwin is supposed to be the smart one yeah and then but yeah Tina and Jane are are just incredible in how they play their characters down but they're both so smart that entire ensemble I mean I mean Jack McBrayer is somebody that I was like who's this guy like this character is so weird and perfect everything he does perfect we got to meet him actually he came to see the show early on and I said, I was like, I hope you understand. I think you're just a masterclass in co- in just commitment and comedy. They're all, oops, sorry. Oh. <laughs> They're all that way. Every one of them, you know, is is just a master of their art form. And they mm-hmm. all work together. It looked like they worked together so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, well, I mean, what was it like working for Tina, though? Or st- you still work for Tina. I still work for Tina. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, first um, I finally her. learned to call her Tina instead of Tina Fey. Yeah. Because for the, a very long time, I couldn't get out just a first name because I think I had a really hard time understanding that we were on a first name basis because she's Tina Fey. Right. <laughs> and who the hell am I? And at first, I, you know, I got an opportunity to meet her. Actually, back in 2015, we did a, like a one-day, very casual table read of just act one of Mean Girls. Um, and I was I knew Nell Benjamin, the lyricist, 
um, working with her on other things. And so she was like, do you want to come read Karen for this? And I literally tripped over myself, got on a, I was in Mexico. I got on a plane early. I came home. It was like a whole thing. Um, because of course I do. Everyone wants that. And so I met her in that room and she was lovely and like so complimentary. And it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just met Tina Fey. Cut to a year later when we're doing the auditions. And my first audition with her in the room was maybe audition two or three. I can't remember how far along the process we were. (laughs) I stared her down the whole time. She wasn't the reader. She was there behind the table. And I just did my whole audition like, at her because I was so <laughs> nervous that she, I was like doing comedy, like doing her comedy for her that I like forgot how to be a person. And like, I couldn't look at the person I was talking to. I was l- talking to the reader and looking at Tina behind the table. It was so awkward, so uncomfortable. I walked out, I called my husband. I was like, I just blew that so hard. Like, I cannot believe I just acted like such a buffoon. And I'm so grateful that they were like, mm, I'm going to give that girl another chance because maybe she's not as dumb as she seems. But it, that was, I was so intimidated and I was so in awe of this person that I had looked up to as, as a female comedian, as an entertainer, as, a, as a, a business head. You know, she's changed the face of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it took me so, so long to be normal with her. I don't know that I'm even there yet. I'm still like a little awkward when she comes around because there's still a part of me that's like, I can't believe I know you and I can't believe that like (laughs) I went to a Christmas party at your house and like I have an ornament on my Christmas tree from your kid. Like it's just like a cool, oh my God, she's so sweet. But yeah, they they have the coolest kids and like we've gotten to spend a lot of time with them, which is amazing. And um, Jeff, her husband who wrote the music for our show is one of the kindest people in the world. And she is everything I wanted her to be, like when they say don't meet your heroes because they end up being just like human, Mm -hmm. she's like all of the best qualities of human and all of the coolest qualities of hero. Because she's so kind and she's so smart and she's so capable and confident. And also like, I bought this dress at Target. Like, (laughs) (laughs) she's just so normal. It's really, it's like, I don't understand how this works, but so it's, it's really amazing to, to be in that presence and and learn from her kind of all over the board, not only artistically, but also Mm. business-wise and, and as a mom and as a person. And it's, it's very awe-inspiring. Clearly, I just monologued for like three minutes about her, like a crazy fan. Do do you uh, do you have any other like female heroes that you look up to like that? It's it's interesting. I've always sort of felt like the people that I really respected were outside of my own industry for for a lot of reasons. But I mean, I I don't know that I have a lot of like concrete female heroes like that. Um, I have a couple in this sort of small business that I, women that I've sort of seen looked up to people like Kelly O'Hara and Carrie Butler, who I got to work with in this show too. Um, but like in the big picture, not really. I have a <laughs> lot of women I admire, but never anybody that I was like, I want to learn from that. That is what I want to figure out how to be. And then I got to meet her and, and work with her for two years. That's crazy. Have you, have you gotten the reverse feedback? Like people have come up to you and said like, I'm emulating you. You are my hero. Yeah, I have gotten that a little bit with this, and it is really strange. Really? (laughs) Well, it's so hard to believe. I mean, I'm just an actor. First of all, I'm just an actor. So, like, what the hell do I know about anything? So is Tina. Well, uh, she's an actor and a writer and a producer and a director. and (laughs) She's, like, got all of the 
ers. I'm just all of a, the titles. just a person. Just a person. Yeah. But it is hard. I mean, I have to imagine the first time someone said that to her, she was a little like, what? Why? Because it just doesn't feel like you have any idea what you're doing. So why would anybody be trying to emulate me, like reaching out randomly in the dark, trying to figure stuff out? Um, but I do, I, we, we have a really cool um, teenage fan base in this show. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are performers themselves. Obviously, the, you know, the Broadway community um, has such a loyal next Broadway community following, the people that are going to someday come and take our place. Mm -hmm. And what's so cool about this show for me in particular, my other shows being a few years back, <laughs> um, we didn't really have the access that social media has given us to those people directly like I have here. And it's been so cool to hear from them, all of these kids who are like just obsessed with the show and and us, you know, the women that I work with and the men as well. It, it's a really amazing direct connection between like the future of Broadway and the current Broadway family. It's it's yeah. it's really neat. And it's I still haven't wrapped my head around it because it's still happening. And I'm still in it. I'm still doing this silly thing every day. But um yeah, it's it's awesome. That, that connection, being able to like hear from them and talk to them and get, you know, we still get mail like we used to, but there's a lot more like messages and, and Instagram and all that, that you do hear a lot of like, you're, I want to do what you're doing and I love what you're doing. And this has inspired me to go back to acting. We've gotten a lot of that. Like, that's a really cool one too. To be like, we, I, I loved this and I was too scared to do it. And now I, I want to go do it again. You're like, oh, that's so inspiring. <laughs> I can't believe that's us <laughs> that made you think that. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, I've I've met a lot of Broadway actors and been part of the community for a while. And at the end of the day, everyone's like, uh, it's a job, right? It's eight, eight yeah. shows a day. Eight, eight shows a day. Eight shows eight a day. Show, eight shows a week. Because <laughs> we're at King's uh, Island. <laughs> I did Bush Gardens. I did 10 oh, shows yeah. a day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, eight shows a week. And they're long and they're hard. And you're dancing your ass off. Mm -hmm. And like at the end of the day, on a Monday, you just want to sit, you want to go home and not talk and yes. not move and hide and stay and, in bed. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And your dark days and and a lot of people like they they crave that validation and that's part of why they become actors. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think they realize the amount of of emotional stamina stamina it takes. It. I mean, it has to be for like. Uh, you know, opportunity for growth, right? Like Broadway is pretty much like as good as it gets until you go into the TV world. Like the output of energy versus like what the return is, is gotta be, they're not great odds compared to like other jobs where you can like work your way up and like ultimately have right. job security and like a <laughs> legitimate living wage all the time. Like you can just expect that in here. You're like, who knows what's going to happen next week. And I'm doing Broadway. Like that's as good as it gets. Um, it's exhausting. The lifestyle is exhausting. It is so differently exhausting when you're not working because then you're constantly auditioning and you're constantly putting your heart out and getting it stomped on. And that's its own version of exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you are working and when you have the, the, the privilege to do what I'm doing eight times a week, you are like literally physically incapable of like lifting your head up <laughs> before 1130 in the morning because you're like, I gave so much every single night this week and twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. So it's, it's, it's an interesting lifestyle. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you get, do you get anxiety? Do you feel the stress of, of being like being between jobs or do you, are you just like, oh, I'll just find the next thing? Uh, a little of both. I think it depends on my 
where I'm at in that particular month. <laughs> um, I'm I tend to be um, okay for a while at least. Like I mean, when you hit month eight and you're like, I can't pay my rent, and I'm tired of eating ramen noodles, then like gets a little more stressful. But I tend to be pretty okay because I really, really believe that what is meant to happen does happen. Um, but that's that's a hard thing to I, of course I get to say that right now because I have a great job and that's a luxury that I get to pretend like I feel that way all the time which I don't I absolutely have like those emotional breakdowns of I'm never going to work again and we had that conversation on stage today with me and one of the other girls where it's like is this our last job are we never going to work again after this <laughs> and I said maybe <laughs> maybe who knows we'll who see knows? <laughs> well, you just you just renewed your contract, yeah. I did. Girls? Yeah, I did just renew my contract. Yeah, so so you so you've chosen, yeah, another year. I have, but what an amazing gift! How few people get that opportunity to to sign on for a second year mm-hmm. because we are going to go another year. I mean, this is the longest I've ever been in a show. Uh, Rock of Ages was a year, just under a year and a half, um, and then I left. They kept going, but I was only in. Uh, Legally Blonde for the final six months. I was mm. in hair for six months. Um, bring it on. And only we had a, a tour that went out first. So we did a, an out of town and then a tour and then Broadway. Um, and we it changed every single time. So it was never the sa- exact same show. Um, and the Broadway run was only six months. Mm-hmm. And then um, Rock of Ages was a year, a year and a half. And then I took um, some time off. I left the business actually for a little while. Did you? I did. Yeah. I, I needed perspective. I needed some change. I needed to see what it was like to do something else. And, um, I had just come off of like this crazy experience with putting, bring it on up. And then I went right into a year and a half of rock of ages, which was one of the hardest shows I've ever done. Um, just physically, it's mm-hmm. just really, really taxing. And so I just was like, I gotta like, t- I gotta do something else. I was just tired. And so I worked in the wine industry. <laughs> I was going to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I went. Yeah, I got um, things that are meant to happen. I met a friend through a friend who ran this wine shop in the Lower East Side, and asked me if I wanted to like basically come in and like work the register <laughs> for like a wine, like you know, ten bucks an hour or something, and a discount on wine. And I was like, Yeah, sure, I love wine. And I fell in love with it, and it became a real, an actual real passion. And I went to school and I got my degree from, it's called WSET's Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Yes. It's one of the larger international like wine training programs. And so I have a degree in it now and I worked full-time for them for, I worked part-time for them for about nine months and then I worked full-time for them as an assistant manager of the shop for about nine months too. So it was like a real, it was awesome and I loved it and I feel very grateful that I did that because while I was doing that, I was like, oh, I miss, I do, I loved that and I missed this. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to like give it, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I really want to do a play. And that was the thing that happened for me that got me out of the wine shop. And then after that, I was like, it'd be really fun to like do like a classic musical. And then like, bam, I went to DC and I worked for arena stages and I did carousel. Mm -hmm. And then I said to myself, okay, you're going to really do this for a year. You're going to spend one year doing nothing else. You're going to put all of your eggs in this basket and you're just going to see if it feels right. And I booked Meat Girls. And so you just like, it's so serendipitous. Like it's, it's how you know that like things happen when they're meant to happen. And that's why you get to be okay when you're not working. <laughs> <laughs> because that kind of confidence is the only 
And confidence, also ignorance, is the only way you survive. Saying, it, sounds like, it sounds a little bit like ignorance is bliss. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's ignorance. Yeah. It's like it's gonna work out, and then like fifty percent of the time, it does. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the saying, and I always tell people, I'm like, if you can, like, if you want to perform, if you can ever see yourself doing something else, do Go something do else. Absolutely, because you have to be so committed to this. Yep, and it is your whole life. Yeah. It's yeah. not just yeah. a job, even though it is your job. It is your whole life. It is every waking minute. You are either getting ready for your show or preparing for your show or learning about an, an audition or doing a concert or it is just, it is 12 hours a day, every single day. And then also a show if you get lucky enough to book one. Yeah. So like it is a, it is 10 full-time jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't love it enough, you will be miserable. Yeah. And everybody will like crush all of your dreams all the time because that's their job. And that's hard too. You know, you have to, you have to be so resilient and so like okay having your dreams crushed <laughs> who's okay with that i'm not i think part of part of the dream is the rejection like that that's that's a lot of why i created this podcast is to hear the stories get these these things out and, and you were saying earlier that you know people tell you that you're inspiring them to get back into acting i was a friend of mine that i performed with got a decade ago and he's like i've been listening to all your podcast now and everyone's stories is inspiring me to get back into acting yeah and cool. it, and it's it's really cool because it gives you, it gives them perspective. Absolutely. It gives everybody perspective. Well, it's so important. I mean, it's literally like the social media problem. You only see the good stuff. You don't mm -hmm. ever see the bad stuff. Like no one posts about like their terrible life. They only post about their best life. Um, it's that way with people in work too. You know, you mm -hmm. only see the people who get the jobs that are visible and you don't see the hundreds of times that those same actors auditioned and didn't book and starved and waited tables and babysat and you know that's that's part of almost every actor's story at least I would hope because otherwise how do you know to appreciate it if the, the people that I have met who don't have that failure and don't have that rejection in their experience don't appreciate it the same yeah. way and yeah. I'm I'm so grateful for the time I took away and that the the loss that I had in that in that process so that I could come in here and be like this is the best damn job in the world. And I'm so grateful and fortunate to have it. And I'm also like aware that I feel that way, which is a great thing because not everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast too. And, and like Wesley Taylor sticks out in my mind because um, he came straight out of uh, School of the Arts and, and booked um, uh, Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. And then he, he did that and it was great and originated, right? Yeah. Like straight out of college, cast, originated yeah. a role. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, Broadway, here I am and nothing. Broadway's Great. like, cute, cute. Yeah, cute. <laughs> yeah, get in line. Because Broadway is a bitch. <laughs> and yeah, so he's one of dozens of stories I've heard where people are just like, oh, perspective. Absolutely. And now I need to struggle and now I'll get through this and now I'm okay. Yeah. But you got to, it's a cycle. And it's, that's the game. The game isn't like, can you book a Broadway show? The game isn't, are you the most talented person on the face of the earth? Like the game is, can you, can you survive? Can you thrive in an environment that is really going to like punch you in the face at any given moment as soon as you're not looking? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> to put they it don't nicely. like come up, warn you, they're going to punch you in the face. They're like, look over there. Also, I'm punching you. You know, it's, it's, it is definitely for people who are, of solid stock. Like you have to be of solid stock to enjoy this business enough to want to stay in it. Mm -hmm. Because again, it has to be joyful. It has to be, that's our, that's our job. We are either experiencing joy or sharing joy or, or giving joy or taking joy, you know, whatever it is. That's, it's just that's all entertainment is. It's making is, people feel. Right. And, and 
feeling yourself too. Yeah. Like you have to feel, you have to have that, that deep well. Isn't that what you say at the theater school? It's like, you, you know, pull from the deep well yeah. of emotion. Ew. You know what's teaching me a lot is Barry, uh, Bill Hader's Barry. Oh, you, you watch that show on no, HBO? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, quick, quick sidetrack. Uh, season two finale just finished. Um, Barry, Bill Hader's character Barry is a hitman who, his tar- I've seen the promos who, for this when I was watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, whose yes. tar- target is an actor. <laughs> he gets bitten by the acting bug, whose teacher is played by um, Harry Wink- uh-huh. Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler, uh-huh. And then he ends up like becoming this great actor. But like all the actors, the actor, the real life actors are horrible, like ditzy people. Like again, sort of, sort yeah. of the the Karen sort of thing, where they're ditzy people, but then they get on stage and act. And and especially the main character, she's so good. And and she like, just and it's like. And but the whole thing anyway, you know, Henry Winkler's character is like pull from your life, pull from yeah. your real experiences. And, yeah, but it's it's true. And the, kind of the through line for people I talk to, the really successful people here, sitting across from me, like you are, are the people who have had a lot of struggle, either like career wise or emotionally or personally, or personally right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Because it, they they draw from that, they pull. That's it. what makes you interesting. Yeah. The yeah. only thing that makes you interesting is life experience. People who've like had it perfect all the time and nothing bad has ever happened to them are really boring. <laughs> <laughs> They're really boring people. They don't know anything about anything. So you're like, I don't want to watch that person go through something. <laughs> I want to watch the like MFR who's like really struggled and like had to sell drugs on the street to like pay for their alcohol problem and support their kid and also like <laughs> won the lottery. That's who I want to watch. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> like, please you do, you know. Death of a salesman. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's so cool. I mean, I applaud you for for stepping away and realizing that you needed that perspective because I think it's brought you back to a really good place. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I've had a, I actually have had a lot of people. Again, it's like it it like makes such a good like crappy Hallmark movie because like it worked out for me and that's great that I'm so lucky that I was like I'm gonna get back into it and then like bam hot pink. Um, but I've had a lot of people reach out to me, friends or friends of friends um, that have been struggling with how to deal with the fact that they don't have the joy of it anymore. And I have told every single one of them, go, to go, do something else, go do something else for three months. Mm-hmm. Just like get, this business can be so, and the city can be so like all consuming and pressurizing and make you feel like you're just like getting crushed and you you lose perspective. So it's like, go, go to Montana and like, Learn how to bake pies for three months. <laughs> Just go do it. Broadway's yeah. not going anywhere. No, it's not. Entertainment's not going anywhere. New York City, God be willing, isn't going anywhere. Go. And mm-hmm. f- what are you going to lose? And 100% of them have come back and been like, I'm so glad I did. Yeah. That doesn't mean they come well, back and do theater again, but they come back and they're like, I'm so grateful for the change of perspective because that's what it gives you. And mm-hmm. that is like life-saving when you're feeling like you cannot see a way out. It's just, I mean, speaking from personal experience too, when you do the same thing over and over again, no matter how great it is, to you know, from in other people's eyes, you still get kind of bored with it. Absolutely. And I think people, humans, we are we are inclined to to need change while ironically being afraid of it. Isn't that so silly that we're like you you crave it, but you're it's like the thing you're the most afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm, seems, seems like an evolution thing we should really be working at. <laughs> been around a while. You hear that evolution? Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, dial it's, that dial up. It's a totally. Bit. I'm I'm all about change, and it's scary. It's so but, scary. But I've been through enough of it that I'm like, I can look back at it in my 38 years on this planet and be like, okay, nine out of ten times I figured it out. Yeah. Like I got 
I, I did my, I landed in my equivalent of mean girls. And like, right? you, yeah, whatever your equivalent of it is, like whatever you're trying to see differently, you know, for whatever reason, it, it's, it's so valuable. Don't you want to be that person? Like at the end of your life, that's like, I saw all of these things that for me is like the thing that always motivates me to be like, what if you didn't do it? And you're like, well, at the end of your life, would you feel so sad? You never tried. Yeah. So sad that you didn't like explore what that meant. Because if it sucks, then like, okay, g- stop doing that. If you don't like that, make another change. You can always make change. Mm-hmm. That's a very privileged thing I get to say because I get to always make change. But for the most part, <laughs> I think most of the people listening to this podcast are in a position where they can always make change. So why not try it? Why not see what happens? And maybe something awesome will happen. Maybe yeah. you like find the thing you actually love to do. Maybe making pies in Montana is the thing you were meant to do. You become the and pie maker. And you would never have known if you hadn't gone to Montana to make pies for three months. That's right. Or you come back, you learn how to make pies, come back and open your shop here on Fifth Avenue and become the pie master. And be very, very fancy. That's right. Because if you have a pie shop on Fifth Avenue, I want to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Liz Lemon, I want to go to there. I want to go to there. Um, you met your husband, Spencer Howard, in Legally Blonde. I did. And the, he is a tour, right? On the tour, yes. Yeah. So he was nursing an, a nursing... An injury? There's an he, injury involved in this story. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He didn't nurse the injury. He caused the injury, which is the reason I got to go on tour. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story. Um, so my husband was the swing and the dance captain for the Legally Blonde tour, which went out. They left a few months before we closed on Broadway. And so they were out doing their thing. We should, we closed on Broadway. And I got a phone call one day that the girl who's playing Margot had broken her leg was I available to go basically now for three months? It was my first tour. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Great. I'm, what am I doing? So I like went out on this tour. It went, I was just there for three months while she was recuperating. Um, and it turns out that Spencer had been on that night in a, in a track and had, they do a, a lift with her and something had gone a little bit wrong. And when they set her down, they set her down a little hard and that caused a hairline fracture <laughs> in her leg, which is what and then it was misdiagnosed and then she did more stuff on it and then it got more injured and that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and so she, he was part of the reason that she got hurt. And then I came into the show and then now we are married 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not saying that it was great that the, the other girl fractured her leg, but it sounds like it was a great story. I mean, if like- you get really into it, the he wasn't supposed to have that track. He was working in a production of West Side Story regionally with a guy named Ward, not named Ward Bielsen. Do you know Ward? Mm-mm. Okay. Ward Bielsen was supposed to be the swing and the dance captain. And Ward and Spencer were doing a show together. He had to lift Spencer. He injured his back so badly, Ward did, that he couldn't take the tour. He had to have surgery. And Spencer booked the track that Ward had to leave. So Spencer injured his way into the show and then injured his way into his wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my husband is very dangerous. And if you stand in the way of what he wants, even if he doesn't know he wants it, you will have an injury. <laughs> so if you believe in the multiverse, you're married to Ward in a different reality. I am. We, and we, I mean, I've known Ward even before that, which is the funniest thing of all. So of course, I know him right. through the business. And um, he's doing fine, by the way. He's very happy and healthy and everything is okay. Oh, and so is Rhiannon, who is the... The Margot that I took over for, she is um, married and happy. She married one of our crew guys from the tour. Oh, no they, kidding. When she came back, they had started a relationship. They're now married with two kids in California. Wow. I know. Wow. I love showmances. <laughs> 
they're, I mean, yeah. They're so messed up, but they're, they're so, so messed up. And they can go so wrong. And you're just like, we're just so lucky it didn't go wrong. <laughs> are there, are there, are there like, at this high level, the echelon of Broadway, do, are there showmances in, in the Broadway world too? Oh, yeah. Because you don't hear about a lot of that. Oh, my God. So many. Really? Yeah, we have some in our, we have a, we have some in our building. We have one that I think I'm allowed to talk about. I think she won't be mad. Everybody knows now it's public. But our Katie and our Aaron Samuels are together. Oh, really? Yeah. And have been since uh, we started, like, basically the end of our out-of-town run is when they, like, started seeing each other. And it was, like, a secret for a little while. And it's been over a year now, so it's not a secret anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And they are so freaking cute together. Oh, my God. It is an adorable showmance. Like, it's, I guess, but then you feel, like, kind of bad calling it a showmance because, like, now it's just a romance. Yeah. They just happen to work together. Yeah. But they didn't meet during the show, so. I just get, I get so freaked out that, like, if there's something that's open-ended, what if it goes bad? I don't know. Then, uh, you know, then they're, then and they the rest to, of us have to, have to <laughs> suffer through, through yeah. have yeah. to suffer through the breakup. But I don't think that's going to happen. Are you, that's an issue. Do you find it hard? Do you think it would, it's harder or easier being married to a non-civilian? Uh, yeah, I mean, like a non-actor? Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm lucky because I have a little bit of both because he was an actor. He's no longer an actor. Oh, he stopped too? He stopped, yeah. He is in hospitality now. He's a concierge. And um, a very, very good one. And so he understands and loves everything about this business and is very forgiving of my schedule and, like, the, the nature of what it is that I do and, and how all of me goes into it without being in it. <laughs> right. So he, like, has a real job, but, like, also a dynamic, you know, he works evenings because he works in hospitality and um, a very a very different but also highly dynamic industry. And um, he has like a real paycheck and like a real life. (laughs) He has like (laughs) health insurance. So like when I don't have it, I get to be on his and that's like so cool. And like a 401k, like a life (laughs) thing. But he's still like a, like a, a, he is a theater person at heart. He is very passionate about it. You never lose that. No, it's just part of, you either are or you aren't. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not a muggle. He's a, he's a theater person for sure. I, I've heard that. Yeah, I think I'm too old. I'm, I'm too old. Muggle wasn't around when I was uh-huh. heavy into the theater world. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It's truly the best way of defining people who are like for theater people to define other people. It like is exactly, exactly yeah. right. Because yeah. <laughs> we are just the weirdest breed of people. So, but it's and it's, we understand each other so intrinsically. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it, it's that's what I don't get. Like I've worked. I've been working in the engineering side for a while, and I've done creative side, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like the engineering side, those people are great. The logical people, the left brain people are all wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. But there's a, there's a connection that I miss. There's an emotional vulnerability that you just— It's that. It's exactly what it is. That vulnerability yeah. to be open with people that you don't know, but that aren't your family, that are, you know, just people. That yeah. you're like, I'm just this way all the time. Yeah. It's, you know, and the— there are lots of people like that that don't choose to do theater. You meet them and you're like, oh, you, you're one of me. I get you. But then there aren't very many people in this business that are muggles. Because this is, what do you do here? What do you, how do you survive this if you like want a normal life? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's not because even if you're not on stage, you're still working long hours. And if oh you're on God, the business yeah. side of it, you work business hours and then you do your and show then you stuff. Do your and show that's stuff. even kind of worse. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of like time commitment. Oh my God, like company management who like has to yeah. go into the office all day and then like come deal with us crazy actors at night. Like that sounds, I don't know how you put up with that. It's a lot of hours dealing with theater. If you, if you don't go to your next thing, I mean, maybe 
you'll be in Mean Girls for years and years and years. But thirty years, uh, I'm gonna 30. seamlessly transition into Mrs. George track. Play <laughs> <laughs> Karen until I'm too old, and then I'm old enough to play Mrs. George. Would Would you want to go back into the wine business? Do you think? I or, think so. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I I even like weirdly loved the retail part of it because you get exposed to so many. Wine is so similar to art in that way. And it's, but actually, I always say it's a lot like theater because if you work in the the kind of wine that I was working in is is very um, small production. It's a dangerous word, natural wine, because it's become like a thing. But like wine that is not made, it's not yellowtail, basically. <laughs> so they're not making like 300 bajillion cases of this wine. It all tastes the same. It's got, it's pumped full of chemicals to make sure you're getting your like Coca-Cola wine. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have any of that. We worked with, very like hands-on small family-owned wineries of like, you know, people who've been making wine for 500 years, Mm -hmm. you know, passed down from son to son to son. And um, every bottle, every vintage is different. Every region is different. Every, um, sometimes every bottle is literally different depending on the wine. And so it feels like a theater experience where you're like, this thing is only here right now Mm -hmm. and while you're enjoying it right now. And it will not be this way if you open up another bottle tomorrow. You'll feel differently. The bottle will be different. Like, it's very artistic. And um, there's so much artistic expression in the winemaking when you deal with things like that. So it was very easy for me to understand and appreciate something, even though I have no idea. I mean, I couldn't make wine if you paid me. It would taste like battery acid. I'm sure it would kill your feet. lots of people. My feet, really. Yes. Um but I, I enjoyed being exposed to all of the different things. Whereas like if you work at one winery, you work at one winery. Mm-hmm. In retail, you will work for all of the wineries. and <laughs> You get to be a part of every one of those experiences. And um, that was very cool. And never would have thought that like retail life would have like been something that enticed me. Nor do I think that there's a other resale, retail that would. <laughs> but this one particular. But I think it would be like a life dream to own or, you know, own a, own a winery and help create that kind of art when I can no longer sustain this one. (laughs) Why not do both? I mean, sure. With all my, all my time and money. The the stardust of, of, uh, of winery or of wine bars. You know what I really want to do? See, but here's the thing about, here's the, here's the trick about wine bars. Now you have to run a bar and that sounds (laughs) awful. I don't want that. I don't want to have to stay up till three in the morning. I don't want to deal with your, my drunk people at the bar. I'm like, I would be a miserable bar owner. Um, but I like the idea of like owning a winery is very enticing. And I, I think like my like, like big girl goal would be to like have a winery that was also a dog rescue. And that would Mm. combine like all of the things that I liked all at one time. I'm trying to picture that. My silence is my, is the imagination. Yeah. There's a, there's actually a winery in Long Island that's doing it right now, but they rescue horses. And I was like, well, this is a good idea. I want to do that, but with dogs. What's the, all the dogs. What's the 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 tie-in? Like, so they, they have, grow they grow grapes on one side of the property and yes, and they also the buy, they buy grapes from other people and they make wines. There's like it's very you can like grow your own grapes or you can like buy grapes or you can like have somebody else make your wine or you can make your wine or you can make half of it. And they make half of it and then you blend it and it, there's like all different ways people make wine. But they have a farm, just a big old farm that is a horse rescue, and then they have the winery part of it. And like of their 15 wines that they make, six of them like all of the proceeds from that wine just go into the horse rescue and that's how they fund their horse rescue. And that's cool. That's really cool. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I have a little muscadine vine in my backyard in Brooklyn. Do you really? Yeah. Have you ever done anything with it? I, I mean, muscadine no. is, you'd have to be really, really skilled to make good wine out of 
Brooklyn musketeers. But <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's impossible. <laughs> no, I just planted it a, a little while, like it, almost a year ago. So it's oh, it needs time. So it needs a lot of it time. It needs four yeah. more years. Yes, and then you yes. can have grapes. Yeah. Well, yeah. We maybe didn't. if you get lucky enough that there's there's actual soil and it actually is fertile enough yeah. to get you grapes. Yeah. Well, I, I do. I do. Fertilize. I'm. I have a green thumb. That's my side project. Oh, really? Is yeah. plants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I'm learning about. I'm learning about plants now. I have some plants. I just got new ones. That I'm beginning. I'm trying I'm into, to not in, kill. Into hydroponics. Oh, okay. I have an aero garden. It's very similar. Yes, it is. <laughs> and aeroponics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the hydroponics, it's it's fun because um, you don't need soil, so you don't need to worry about that in in New York, Manhattan. Yep. So yep. like my old place in Midtown had a balcony with with these pods, and I had like Brussels sprouts and tomatoes and cucumbers so and cool. and I actually ran out of room because I was growing a, a, a pumpkin vine. Uh uh-uh. On my. On, your- on the thirtieth floor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's and, cool. Yeah, it was fun. If I had outdoor space, I would totally get into that. I don't. I have a fire escape. Life goals. Very, very protective super. So, really? Yes. Can't put anything on that fire escape. Oof. He, that's no fun. You like put, like touch the fire escape with your finger and he's like knocking on your door being like, you can't put anything on that. Oh. He's just doing his job. Well, he's back to theater. Seat. Theater. Okay. <laughs> enough uh, about that. Uh, enough about that. Um, ASMR as I shift through my notes. Welcome, everybody, to the ASMR Theater Podcast Hour. TV and film. Would you like to do any more of that? You know, I have very little film experience. I did do Sex and the City, um, but, like, I I just walked basically around a corner, like, a a lot, and they cut our whole scene. So, like, (laughs) so I I don't know. That, I was sort of fascinated by how little I liked that. I thought it was really unartistic and now that's going to make a lot of people mad that I say that but so I, I I think I would be really interested in doing television because you get to develop a character over a long period of time mm-hmm. and that's really cool the thing that tricks me up and this is like my theater roots is that I'm like but you don't tell the story in line it's not linear storytelling and so like how the heck do I know where I'm going because I don't I'm starting at the end and then yeah. I like jump to the middle and then we do the beginning and then we go back to the end. And I'm like, how do you know what this is? You've not experienced it all the way through. So I don't know. That scares me a little. You know, that's that's the change. You're afraid yeah, of the change. I know. I mean, if someone would like to hire me to experience that change, <laughs> I will be 100% on board. I would love to experience the change. You don't you don't actively like audition and pursue that during the day, do you? No, I do. Absolutely. Do mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, they it's hard. Come a, they haven't come a calling yet, so… <laughs> Yeah, it's a different, a totally different industry. And it, I, I, I forget who it was. I mean, this is going to make a really bad story because I don't remember any of the context. But it was like <laughs> over the course of the movie, this particular character gets more and more like unhinged. Uh. And so whoever whoever this actor or actress was that was telling it, I'm sorry, bad story. But like they would give themselves uh, a number from one to ten at whatever point in the script they were. Of yeah. like ten being the ridiculous off the wall, one being totally like sane and and not like unhinged, right? Yeah. And so like, all right, this scene is this is scene six A or seven B, and I'm a four, and on this one I'm an eight, and you know, so they kind of like. I marvel of, at yeah. people that can do that, though. Yeah. That is a real, that's a totally separate skill from the stamina that it takes to, like, tell a story from start to finish. Like, I, I'm i very envious of that skill. I don't, I've never tried, really, so I don't know if I have it or I don't have it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, very cool to be able to drop in like that out of nowhere. You know, to go from, like, one to eight to six to 
15 is yeah. like such a cool thing to be able to do. Oh, speaking of stamina, I meant to ask you about um, Bring It On. The, you said you weren't very sport or athletically oriented, no. but the cheerleading and yeah. the dancing and that. Yeah. <laughs> learn all that. Yeah. I had to learn how to cheerlead. Yeah. It was, I was lucky in the sense that um, there were two principal women, Taylor Louderman and mm-hmm. then Ellie McLemore, um, were the two that had to like really stunt. Um, and I didn't. I, that was just not my track, didn't really need to do that. But we still, I mean, I based stunts, I learned how to catch. I saved some people, like when stunts went badly. Like I knew that I was a real cheerleader when I ran towards the falling human instead of away to save my own life. <laughs> it was a really proud day in my life because I like I literally caught someone falling out of a lift that didn't go well, put her down, and then I was like, oh my God, I ran, I did it. I like mastered you, like, because you're Basic human instinct is run away from the thing falling out of the sky at you. And that is very hard to overcome. <laughs> and the day that I did, I felt very proud. Um, but yeah, it was insane. I mean, that show was, creating that show was insane because competitive cheerleading isn't designed to be done for two and a half hours, eight times a week. It's designed to be done for three minutes once. Mm-hmm. M- maybe twice in a weekend, twice in a day. Um, and so we had like, our we had our cast was basically like three segments. There was like a core of actors, actor singers, a core of dancers, and then a core of professional cheerleaders and gymnasts. And so they had to learn to act and sing. They had to learn to like act and cheer. And we had to learn to like dance and cheer. Mm -hmm. And it was the craziest like amalgamation of skill sets all coming together. Um, And we had such, everybody was so respectful of the other person's skills, which was really neat um, because we just did not have them. I looked at like, there's this woman, her name was Brooklyn and she was, um, one of our cheerleaders. And I have never, I have never met a strong, literally stronger human being than her. And she's like this teeny, tiny little like blonde from Kentucky. She can drink you under the table. She can throw (laughs) a football better than any man I've ever met. And also she can like flip herself over and throw people in the air and catch that. Like, it's just, it's insane athleticism, what they can do. And anybody who says competitive cheerleading is not an athletic event is has never tried competitive cheerleading <laughs> because it is one of the hardest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's insane that what they could do, what they did do yeah. every single day. Oh, yeah. I've known, times a week. I've known men especially that have come out of, of cheerleading, and they're, they're jacked. Monsters. They're ripped. I mean, you're holding 115-pound yeah. people yeah. above your head, like with one hand. With one hand. Throwing them up and catching yeah. them with one hand. Catching yeah. their foot with one hand. Yeah. We had, we had, I mean, there's obviously like everybody has their, their different facets in cheerleading. My, my best friends in the world is, was one of our star tumblers and he, he lives in Atlanta now with his husband, but he, I mean, I just have never, he's like a little taller than me and he's very muscular, but he's not a big guy because that's not what he does. He has to be able to flip his body around, throw himself in the air and spin. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible to watch him work. And then you meet the guys who do the the real the base stunting who that's their job is to like throw people up and catch them with one hand mm-hmm. and and then there's the with the women too like there's the women I was really too big to throw around frankly I would have had to have been so physically strong and capable which I am not um but like the women the teeny you know the teeny tiny little like just rock women that mm-hmm. are the flyers because they have to be so muscular that they can like get up in the air and like make those shapes and flip and every single one of them is a master athlete and it's it was really cool to work in that world mm-hmm. 
and have that really be the star of the show. You know, we were telling the story, so to speak, in terms of the musical elements of it, but like the star of the show or the cheerleaders, that's what everybody came to see. It wasn't me, it was definitely them. And it was neat to live in their world for a little bit and while watch them sort of adapt to our world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think the show doesn't give Lin-Manuel enough credit. I agree with you completely. Because, I mean, that was between In the Heights and Hamilton. Yeah. He and and uh, and Tom Kitt wrote the yeah. music. Yeah, and then Amanda and Green. Amanda, yeah. Amanda Green, yeah. Yep. The three of them worked together. Like, geez, some of the lyrics in the show It's so are smart. So smart. Yeah. And you're getting teenagers to say, I mean, people playing teenagers yeah. to, to, to rap like this. One of the, I forget what the lyric is, but there's one guy who was like, if cheerleading's for, cheerleading's for women, then... Oh God, I'm gonna totally screw up this lyric. It's the guy's like, I'll be a feminist because I'm surrounded uh-huh. by women or whatever it is. You know, Femin- I'll be a feminist, women and women, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's like, consider it. It's a little different, isn't it? It's. I mean, it's so yeah. smart. All of that. I used to know all of it, and no one would let me rap because that wasn't. No one wants to watch that. But it, like, <laughs> it, some of the stuff that they had in that show was so brilliant and maybe a little ahead of its time. Um, I just think like it was such a hard thing to sustain because of the amount of physical injury. I, I mean, you, you can't help it. There's nothing you can do to prevent that. It is what it is. Some mm-hmm. days things fall and sometimes people get hurt. And it was so difficult to sustain. Um, and because of that, a lot of times, sometimes the storytelling had to take us a backseat a little bit to like keeping people alive. <laughs> so it was just very, cha- it was a really challenging piece. And I, I always get so happy when I meet people who are like, oh, I loved Bring It On. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you saw it because <laughs> not a lot of people did. You know, we only ran for six months. And um, it was so much work that went into creating that piece and getting it to a point where we could run on Broadway for six months. Um, and we were so proud of it. But yeah, man, it. I still have, I mean, I have a rib injury that- Do you really? From a fall that went like a this nutso stunt that went wrong in- Atlanta are out of town and this girl we were holding her up by a single foot and you had to like all the three of us at the base sounds so normal if you're a cheerleader I'm sorry that I'm a butchering this and be making like a level one stunt sound complicated but so there's like three people holding one foot and then all together we would have to prep and press her up with her one foot she would go up in the air flip around and then we would catch her Mm -hmm. well that went wrong one day and she landed on me and that just me like (laughs) down I went you know I it, and we hit hard. We had to cancel a preview that night because both she and I got injured. And, it, like, that happened the whole time because that's cheerleading. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so amazing when you watch those performances, you know, that they can do all that stuff without killing themselves. Yeah. Well, I, I, I applaud it. I think it's wonderful. Um, but we're running short on time. and You have a show to do. But before you go, before you go, I want to talk about Back to My Roots. Yeah. Give you that plug. Which Thanks. is your solo album. My solo album. Why did you create a solo album? I think because it's like the coolest thing you can possibly do as like a singer person. Um, I don't write. It is not my own music. It's none of its original. Um, it's all... Broadway, I should say, I can't use the word standard because that's like an actual thing, but I call it like the second golden age of Broadway, which is like the late seventies, the early nineties, basically like Andrew Lloyd Webber's era. (laughs) It was such a big part of my upbringing. That's the music that I listened to Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And what made me fall in love with Broadway was, you know, Lame Is and Cats and Phantom. And then when I started to get into some of the more like artistic stuff, Sondheim, I mean, that was Sondheim's a big kind of push forward with some of his like 
more inventive. I mean, merrily we roll along and into the woods, those those beautiful artistic pieces. And then William Finn was working a lot at that time. Falsettos is my favorite show of all time. And um, those are the things that like when I was in college and learning about like the artsy stuff, not the cats, um, that, that started to like sort of shape me as as an actor too. And, and so, but I've never done any of that here. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened and I just don't, I don't get to do it. So I made, I made a show first, a solo show, Cabaret. And then from there, we kind of honed down, you know, what was the, the real core of that piece. And then we did a studio album of that. Fine. So yeah. And we, we released it three weeks after we opened Mean Girls, which was just, the right choice, but I still think a strong choice in terms of <laughs> the, the time and energy I had to give to it. Um, but then just last month, actually, I did a show at City Winery, and I did the show again, and we kind of called it an album release party. It was like on the one-year anniversary of releasing it um, to sort of get to finally celebrate it and say, like, this is a thing that we made, and I couldn't really give it its due when I was opening the show, but now I want to I want to celebrate it. So I am really, really proud of it. My music director... Jason Lafredo, who, um, he's a Broadway MD. He just closed Kinky Boots, actually. He was mm -hmm. the closing conductor at Kinky Boots. Um, did all of my arrangements for me. And we have an, we have eight instruments, or well, we have eight musicians on the album um, who play any any number of instruments, depending on the, the song. Um, and it's like a really, there's a couple of uh, guest performers on it as well, guest guitarist and guest vocalist. My friend Ari DeBose um, come and say, does a duet with me and, um, it's, it was just really, really joyful to make and what a cool thing to like have and say that I say that I did. And I mean, nobody buys musical theater albums, but musical theater people. So <laughs> it's not like a, uh, huge financial, uh, <laughs> thing that's going to like take off and run and support me through my, my eighties. But, um, it's, it's a really neat thing to say that you created and, and not everybody wants that. And that's like totally cool, but it was something I, I really wanted to have in my time as a, as a performer. Yeah, it's a tangible thing that you can point to and, and there's say, there's so little of that, that in live theater. So few yeah. things. That's why those, remember those souvenir programs used to be such a big deal if you got to be in the souvenir program? Yeah. Because like, look, see, I was there really. That was me. I was in it. The yeah. cast album, yeah. you know, it's, there's so little that we get to like hold on to. So we'll wrap up here. And as always, I have three standard questions that I ask all my guests. Number one, very simply, what motivates you? By very simply, you mean like get to the deepest part of your core as a human and distill it down to one sentence? What motivates me? Challenge? The word no motivates me. <laughs> do you like, to, you like to prove people wrong? I do. I love to prove people wrong. I love to be what is unexpected. and But also that's like 50% of what motivates me. And the other is just joy. I'm a really joyful person. I'm like at the end of the day, like I'm just, I want to have fun. Mm -hmm. I like want to play and I always I'm like the oldest child of all time or I'm someday will be um, because I just I just want to have fun. Yeah. And so that is while I can be very like, of course, there's a lot of not fun things out there. Doing the laundry is never fun. Um, that's like the thing that really drives a lot of the things that I do is like, is this going to be joyful? And this can this either bring me joy or bring somebody else joy? Okay. Number two, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, my favorite thing that I have learned uh, about this world is that you uh, you will be told your whole life who you are supposed to be like. 
be like this person. This is the career you should follow. These are the kind of roles you're going to take. And it's all bullshit. (laughs) You should be like nobody but yourself. You should be like yourself because those people already exist and they're playing the roles already. And if you want Kelly O'Hara, you're not going to hire Kate Rockwell. You're going to hire Kelly O'Hara because she's Kelly O'Hara. Why would I try to be like Kelly O'Hara? What a waste of everyone's time when I could just be myself because no one else is doing it the way I do it. Every That's true for every single artist across the board. Mm-hmm. You are the only person that can tell your story the way you would tell it. And your story is interesting. So what makes you unique is what makes you interesting. And that's what's going to get you work. So don't try to be like other people. Just like really like dig in, figure out who you are and what you have to offer and run with that. And that's what will get you, that's what will make you successful. I'm going to interrupt these closing questions because I want to ask you, if if you said you'd like to prove people wrong, are you often stereotyped? All the time. I've been stereotyped my entire life. <laughs> As a woman, I'm stereotyped. As a, I'm a blonde woman, not naturally, but I I present as a blonde female. Mm-hmm. That's a stereotype. Actors are stereotyped all the time. They, we are children who are incapable of being responsible or making decisions, and that's that makes me nuts. Um, I'm an, I'm a blonde actress, so I must not be very smart. That's a tough one. You play the through line we were talking about earlier yeah. is you play the dumb characters. Always, but my what, whole career. <laughs> but what we're saying is people don't understand how much intelligence that takes. But even outside of that, people look at a, a pretty girl, pretty white blonde girl who's an actor and they're like, oh, well, you clearly don't have any other skills because that's why you're doing this. And you're like, well, actually, I could do anything I wanted. I could have done anything I wanted. And I chose this. And that makes me very smart because I knew what I was capable of and I picked something and ran with it. That's intelligence, as opposed to just falling into whatever is convenient or available to you because you don't want to try very hard and you don't want to risk. That's not smart. I agree. That is a beautiful answer. Okay, so (laughs) final question now. This is the hardest. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what show would you see? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I had... I, I think it's still falsettos. So I'm watching it. I'm not in it. And whatever you want. I think it's still falsettos. I, that show brings me so much joy because it is so fucked up. It's fucked up. And it was like so at its, in its time when it was done, it was so adventurous and so innovative. And now when you do it, it is still so freaking relevant and so painful, but also so heartwarming. And the, there's so many messages in it that are just sheer humanity. And I love that someone was capable of making musical theater human. Because the whole point of musical theater, 90% of the time, is that we are like 300 times bigger than what humanity is. Mm -hmm. But not that show. That show is about real things and real people that are going through like stuff that's actually happening out there on the streets too. And that's neat. And also like you get to sing your face off while you do that. So like best of all of the artistic worlds for musical theater. So I I think you'd do that. Wonderful. So we can connect with you online, katerockwell.com. Yeah. On Instagram, katerockwellnyc. And you also have another Instagram <laughs> account, Broadway, Broadway Wino. Broadway Wino. I have, I just, it's a brand new one um, that is truly like, I don't know what it's going to turn into, but it's just me and wine and tips and answering questions, um, trying to make the wine world less scary and less um high and mighty and less like, uh, you know, so many people think wine is so unreachable, unattainable, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. You just have to know how, you have to know the language. You have to learn the language of wine. And I would love to be someone who helps people learn that language so that they feel more capable and then they can 
experiment more and learn more and try new things. So Broadway, why now? I don't know. We'll see. He's it's be, mostly just me drinking. He's <laughs> be like a Broadway sommelier. I would yeah. love that if somebody wanted that. I guess who would want that? You could pour you, you your wine and I'll sing you a song. Yeah, you could just sing, sing, <laughs> sing the whole menu to somebody or rec- give you recommendations in song. I could pair musical songs with a wine. <gasps> oh, I've already thing. thought this is my next concert. It's coming. I'm going to do like a wine pairing concert. That where we all great. drink the same wine together while a song is. Please coming. invite me. I okay. want to come to that. That's so. I need like so a year. Brilliant. I need some time. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be eventually. <laughs> all right, get more of me. The theaterpodcast.com. Support the pa- the blah blah blah. Blip. You get more of me. The theaterpodcast.com. You can support the podcast if you just add a little slash Patreon at the end of that URL. You could get me on Instagram and Twitter. Theater underscore podcast. Facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Of course, listen, subscribe, rate, and review. Share the word. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, Jukebox the Ghost. Thank you for the music. And Kate Rockwell, thank you for this absolutely wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> I'm just imagining the pairing and the song right? and the Doesn't wine. And the, oh, it's going to be so great. Yeah, please. I uh-huh. mean, you know, who doesn't want to drink while they listen to musical theater? <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.